0: Let's take our Bibles at this time and turn to Psalm 60. Psalm 60, as this says, it's subheading to the chief musician set to lily of the testimony. Mictam a golden song of David for teaching when he fought against Mesopotamia and Syria of Zobah and Joab returned and killed 12,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. The word of God. O oh God, you've cast us off. You've broken us down. You've been displeased. O, oh, restore us again. You've made the earth tremble, you've broken it, heal its breaches, for it is shaking. You have shown your people hard things, you have made us drink the wine of confusion. You've given a banner to those who fear you, that it may be displayed because of the truth. That your beloved may be delivered, save with your right hand and hear me. God has spoken in his holiness. I will rejoice. I will divide Shechem and measure out the valley of Succoth. Gilead is mine and Manasseh is mine. Ephraim also is the helmet for my head. Judah is my lawgiver. Moab is my washpot. Over Edom I will cast my shoe. Philistia, shout in triumph. Because of me. Who will bring me to the strong city? Who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you, O God, who cast us off? And you, O God, who did not go out with our armies? Give us help from trouble, for the help of man is useless. Through God we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down Our enemies. As far as we read, the Word of God, wonderful Word that lives and abides forever, is truth always, and truth for truth's sake and for our living today. That verse, particularly on which we would meditate in this psalm, is the last. Through God we will do valiantly. For it is he who shall tread down our enemies. Beloved, this song is the song of deliverance, great theme of the Psalms. And the psalmist himself has spoken of that word deliverance in his prayer, in his reminding himself that God had given a banner to all of those who fear him and This is that it may be displayed because of the truth that your beloved may be delivered is why he brings these matters up. Deliverance is indeed the theme of our text. Through God we will do valiantly. In other words, we shall have the victory and that amounts to God himself treading down as a victor upon the head of the enemies of God and of the people of God. Is this your song? Is this word of God, which is a psalm of God and a psalm of King David, your word, the truth that enlightens you, the truth that sanctifies you and that you sing? Does it move you to passion and to piety as you respond to the truth of deliverance in the light of the Old and the New Testament. That's, the, song, uh, that's the, the, the question we want to consider today as we consider this song of deliverance. But also, we want to consider this in light of the particular and rather peculiar, we would say, other emphasis in the psalm. And that emphasis, that other emphasis besides deliverance, is dereliction. The psalmist, in fact, moves in Psalm 60 from dereliction to deliverance. And the word dereliction is simply a way of saying desperation and forsakenness. For look how the psalmist begins. "O oh God, you've cast us off. You've broken us down. You've been displeased. And the prayer is then for restoration and deliverance from that. And even at the end, when it seems the psalmist's faith has been bolstered, he's asking the questions in verses 9 and 10, who will bring me to the strong city, who will lead me to Edom, that is, to the capital city of Edom in triumph. Is it not you, O God, O God, who cast us off, and you, O God, who did not go out with our armies, so the psalmist celebrates deliverance, but there is this notice and this remembrance of dereliction and forsakenness. And how do those two fit? That's what we're going to be pondering today, but also, how is there victory and deliverance? that is over the forsakenness, over the dereliction, that is complete victory so that there's no occasion for despair ever again because the victory is so complete. And again, that question, is this your song? Is this my song? Do this we revert to and are we understanding uh, how this forsakenness and this dereliction and deliverance go together and somehow how we must remember them if we are, are to advance and to advance in joy and go forward as Christians. So we want to sing of the victory and the victory that we have according to the text through God, through God we do, and are doing valiantly. We want to consider that, but then we want to consider the unthinkable deliverance, the unthinkable deliverance, and then that ne'er to be forgotten way of deliverance, and finally we want to consider that there's a whole group of people. They're called battlers who sing together and declare together just our text. I'm looking at battlers, those who fight the good fight of faith, who come and are wounded. You come to be healed every Lord's day. You come to God to be healed. But there's a battle cry, and this is what this is. Through God, we will do valiantly on the fields of blood. And so... We want to consider the unthinkable deliverance. Well, of course, in a way, deliverance and what the Bible speaks of is always thinkable. God has given us revelation here. It's light, and we can think about the light. We're supposed to. Christianity is not leave your mind at the door, don't think about anything, come to church and let go and let God And just feel good and just get this feeling and then go away and sing Kumbaya or whatever. It's about making thinking Christians is God. So we're renewed by the transformation of our minds as well as hearts and emotions and everything else. So very important, so forgotten in Christendom today. So it's thinkable, of course, and actually concrete here. In the Old Testament, we have victory that is celebrated over concrete, cement, uh, steel, sword enemies. And the psalmist is speaking of battles that he fought against Mesopotamia, the Syria and Syria of Zoba, Joab over the Edomites. And they're listed further in verse 8 Moab, Edom, Philistia. These are all opponents of Israel. Now, the striking thing is, and even the subheading can't help us there. here, we don't know exactly what the victories were that were being celebrated in this psalm. As I've said this before in our series on the Psalms, not always is the historical setting clear to us. And, that's okay. We have the word of God, and it reminds us that this word is for us and for our enemies. But back to the enemies, uh, the enemies and the, and the victory over uh, Edom, for example, which is a particularly um, inveterate and bad enemy of Israel because Edom was a descendant of Esau, a half brother of, uh, of Jacob, or brother of Jacob, but then he left uh, this is celebrated in the Bible, this victory over Edom. You can find in First Kings and Samuel as well, different battles and reflections upon the fact that God would give the victory over Edom. But if you go back to, uh, you go back to um, Jacob, for example, and he, he has a prophecy in Genesis 49 of victory over all the enemies of God. And this is what some people think this psalm is celebrating. Deliverance from all of the enemies of the people of God. In Genesis 49, Jacob announces this will be. And Moses in Deuteronomy 33 also announces this will be, this victory over all your enemies. Israel is the triumphant people of God. The church is and is to be the triumphant people of God over enemies. Now of course today there are not those enemies that can be pinpointed of as if one nation say China or um, Russia would be the enemy even of the Church of God, as well as maybe, as some say, an enemy of the United States. That's not the nature of the victory anymore, that God would show the victory of his chosen people over concrete nations, say in Canaan and surrounding nations. Uh, that's not the case today. And we know, in fact, because we know something of the Bible, some basics, that all of the enemies of the Old Testament were pictures of all of the enemies of God, which really are the worst enemies of the people of God. Sins, Edom's sins, Philistines sins, Goliath's sins are the problem we have. Little foxes that get into the vineyards, those sins dogs that would hound the people of God. Those sins are our enemies. And how we need to remember that. The enemies of the people of God cannot be delineated geographically or politically or uh, neighborly as if that guy's my enemy and I just know that and so on. These are spiritual things. So we can't be saying, well, the Democrats are the opponents of Christians as if the Republicans were not, or uh, the Greenpeace activists were not, or the Independents were not. That's not about that. To be spiritually minded is to remember that all sin is the enemy of the people of God with sin. Sin is rebellion against God, and all the nations have rebelled against God. And all the nations are no longer for God as were Adam and Eve and the nations in them should they have stood. They're all against God and there's none righteous, no, not one and all have done evil and this is the nature of the beast that is fallen man. We have not become beast, we are still human. There are still remnants as the canons of Dort say of the natural light but there's this total depravity and that is, all people outside of Christ are those who are opposed to God. And they're opposed to this word, the Bible. And they're opposed to the authority of the Bible. And the authority of the church of Christ that pronounces in the name of the word of God, in the name of Jesus, thus saith the Lord. All are opposed to that. All are opposed and show their opposition Sometimes and oftentimes in substituting for righteousness what God says is not enough because you need the righteousness of Christ. And so there's this subtlety about the evil and about the enemies, but they're still enemies. Are the nice people and the smiley people and, and the people who promise us money and who even send us checks in the mail and so on. If they be not for Jesus, they are against him. If they not be for God, they are against him. But... This only magnifies the fact that we are blessed indeed to be saved from our own being enemies. For if any of you is sensitive to sin, you have met the enemy and he is you. And I have met the enemy and it is I. I am the rebellious one and you are too. You came not here to be flattered, did you? You came not here to be hearing a politician but a prophet didn't you and this is what the prophet says to himself and to all even God's people we are sinful and we need god and and this is what's being celebrated here when the psalmist at the end comes around to this statement through god we will do valiantly and earlier he had Reminded himself and God, you have given a banner to those who fear you, verse 4, that it may be displayed because of the truth that your beloved may be delivered. And his prayer is confident, save with your right hand and hear me. And then he rehearses what God himself rejoices in. The, the victory over sin and death. And this, we know, is this wonderful salvation in Jesus. We're here in this Christian church to celebrate this victory over sin and death and, and eternal hell through the blood of the Lamb. What a wonderful thing. And what a thing that you can't see, really. You can, but you need faith first to see it. And that's why I say in the first point of this sermon, it's kind of an unthinkable thing. No, it is an unthinkable thing because it's an, an unseeable thing. It's an unknowable thing by your senses and by the powers of your intellect. It has to be revealed. Deliverance comes from a sword that is, is, uh, is taken up from heaven And there has to be this son of man to substitute for sinful people, but who's a son of God as well. This is what the Christian faith is all about. This great thing, too, this spiritual thing, this great thing, because deliverance from the greatest enemy is deliverance, God says, and the gospel says, to the greatest good. Good from the greatest evil, not COVID, not our party losing, not this and that, not a poor economy, not we're impoverished, but sin, to the greatest good. And it's not Shangri-La. It's not your ship come in. It's not winning the lottery. Oh, beloved, how silly we can be. It's not even a sunny day or a hundred of them. It's salvation and fellowship with God. Isn't that beautiful? I spoke with someone yesterday about being passionate about these things. Are we? Is this song ours of the deliverance from our sin and our guilt and our rebelliousness, our own weak Christianity, our own weak sermons. Yeah, in the end, you got to say, and a minister has to say something like this, Lord, deliver me from the sins of my sermons, sins of my prayers. All that stuff in that it gets in the way. Deliver me. Liver meat, and yet it's a celebration, and not a, a a meditating and and loitering. Yeah, it's loitering. It's not legal, beloved, to loiter just on the sins and the and the miseries and so on. But you stay by Jesus, and that's the thing. That's what the psalmist is coming to, and that's where he. He will start from in another place and his day will begin and the dawn will rise and he will rise up to praise God because he comes round to this, because God has come round to delivering him and showing the fullness of his salvation in this thing called faith that doesn't have to see to see. By faith we understand what we don't see, and looking in the word of God, reflecting upon the truth, we behold Jesus and fellowship with God. Now, this is why we're here to celebrate, rehearse, meditate upon, have preached about the things that are unthinkable, unseeable, but are to be believed and are believing. aren't they I know you believe this and I do and it doesn't matter all the nastiness of this now and that now and tomorrow because this never changes and this is fully realized in the New Testament the new dawn of the last days and now in the Bible that records that Victory in Jesus. You will have much tribulation in this world, Jesus says, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. He says that even before he overcame the world. How confident is the word of God in the word of God and in the counsel of God. The cross, the means of salvation, that in which the church glories. The fellowship of God, that is the end of that. The bringing back of sinners unto God. But now, this thing unthinkable but fully joyful is to be seen and understood and believed with regard to this unthinkable thing, forsakenness. And this is how the psalmist starts, and I want to commend to your attention, this is how he also concludes with this knowledge that this deliverance comes in the way of being forsaken. Look, both parts of the psalm, they're disparate. They don't seem to belong to one another. And there's a moving on but there is still a recollection at the end of the God who delivers and will deliver is the God who did cast them off. Now, we don't know the concrete uh, incident here that's being celebrated. We don't know that. Oh. Somehow there was this victory and would be this victory over enemies, But there, and they're listed, some of them here, but the history of their Israel itself and its triumph, particular triumphs over these enemies is somewhat recorded, but not this part. "O oh God, you have cast us off," verse one. "You have broken us down, you've been displeased, and then the need restore, to restore. O oh God, restore us again." The trembling of the earth isn't recorded either And some instance then. The brokenness of the earth and the breaches that needed healing and the shaking that needed calm down and the fact that God showed in this the people, his own people hard things and gave them to drink of the wine of confusion. That's not, that's not listed in detail in the Bible. There's instances of other things and Psalms reflects upon that and so on, but nothing in detail. But now, what we need to wrestle with, beloved, is that this is, this is unthinkable. Just think of it from one point of view, and maybe you're trying to witness to somebody about all of the, all of the things, the bad stuff in the world. And you come to this invariably among unbelievers, maybe... Poundstuck Park, maybe your neighborhood, whatever. And they're always coming to this, those who thought about it a little bit, how can there be God and there be evil? How can God be God and king and there be evil and those who rebel against God? If God was, if I were king, I'd just squash them. How come God doesn't do that? And yeah, you come across it now, how do explain that? And how do you explain the fact that there is a fall, the beginning of sin? How did that begin and why would God let it if He's good? And not only if He's God, but if He's good, we got problems here. We got problems understanding it, don't we? How can that be that and that be that if God be this, whom you Christians say He is? and which seems to us atheists and agnostics and those sitting on the fence as if yours, your position is untenable. You can't hold it. It's not logical, and we need someone better to clean up this mess. If, and if it's your God who's let this mess be, then forget that. Let's go to man and science and technology and the government. Yeah. Yeah. God forsook the world. If, if the Bible is true, God forsook the world. And Adam and Eve, once in fellowship with God, were disfellowshipped. Well, that's bad enough. But this, this is the people of God. How can that be? And here's another stumbling block to the ones who criticize Christianity. How can it be that God would forsake his people, if he's God and if he's the father of the fatherless and he's good to those who are bad by grace, well, what's this? This testimony, O God, you've cast us off. Unless the psalmist is mistaken, then we have another problem with the Bible. But he's not mistaken, he's telling the truth, and it doesn't seem like it, only... It's true. You've cast us off. You've broken us down. You've been displeased. We need to be restored. Well, yeah, that's a problem. It's a problem for us, too. But then this, and this is the hardest thing. Jesus is cast off. And the fourth word of the cross echoed in another psalm, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you cast me down? Why have you broken me down? Why have you been displeased with me? Is Jesus' psalms. In fact, he's the first one to sing it. The first one to know the consternation and fear and confusion in his being the derelict for sinners, the forsaken one. That's what Calvary is all about. So the unthinkable comes down to this, the cross of Calvary. God delivering his son to the lions, not just David to the lions to fight against them, but his son to the lions, that David... Who might be a type of him in conquering the lions would not even be close to the truth of the fact because God really delivered Jesus to the lions and they ate him up. God delivered his son to God. It gets worse and worse. Imagine, again, you're witnessing to someone and rather than making it clearer and more settling to this person who had problems with God and his goodness and sovereignty begin with, it seems like the more you get into the gospel, the more you're confusing him and the more he's stumbling because it's getting, in his mind, worse and worse. How could God, without being a great child abuser... Send his son who's innocent, who is God, in fact, to the death of the cross, and give him over to the curse and to suffer the pangs of hell itself. Common theme in the Bible, isn't it? The cross, the song of Jesus In the midst of the deliverance, there's this remembrance of the forsakenness. And yes, we don't know just what David knew of Jesus, but he knew of Jesus because he was a believer. And faith always leads you straight on to Jesus. The Son of God, the Son of Man, the forsaken one that we might never be forsaken. And so we can say in the end, through God, through Jesus, we will do valiantly. And that's a second point here. Something never to be forgotten. The way, the way. Now, there's been controversy about this. Not only about the nature of salvation, It's spiritual. It's a blessedness that earth cannot afford of life with God, but of the way to it. And we've mentioned the way. It's Jesus, of course. But some have always been saying it's Jesus and us. And even now, it's the Arminian era, really. Jesus and the free will of man the will of God and the will of man cooperating. Or the Roman Catholic, the will of God and the works of God meriting. Here the psalmist puts them together, that is, puts God and man together when he says, through God we will do valiantly. Through God we will do valiantly. Or emphasize it this way, through God we will do something about it. We'll gain the victory, but we will do something about it. And the psalmist here juxtaposes set side by side the two. There's no conflict in his mind, even though we've distorted it and we've said that means we both save ourselves. God saves us and we save ourselves. God helps those who help themselves. Now, the psalmist doesn't do that. He doesn't break the Gordian knot and say, out of the confusion, we're just going to separate. So it's God here and us here. Look what he says right above the text. The help of man is useless. You, God, give us help from trouble. The help of man is useless. It's vain. So we can't be saying it's God and man and God's the pilot and I'm the co-pilot Or, I'm the pilot and God's the co-pilot. No. Here's the way, first of all. Jesus. God in Jesus revealed. That's it. That's first, I'll say that. That's first. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's the word of God. I'm the only way. God's the only way out, the only way up. Through this forsakenness of the cross, through this grace of God, Jesus is the only way. Not Jesus in man, not Jesus in faith, not Jesus and an obedient faith. This is a federal vision. Not Jesus and you're persevering and then you get to heaven, but if you don't, you don't. Jesus is the way. That's simple, right? Not simple math, but the basic gospel, the foundation of it all. Redemption accomplished and applied by him who is given to the death but then rises to heaven and intercedes for the people of God and for them only because if he would intercede for everyone, everyone would be saved and for everyone it ha- would have to be say he died, but he didn't. He gets what he wants. God saves his people. Through the way Jesus. Through the amazing way, Jesus. Described here is the banner. The psalmist, after saying, You've made us all confused, oh God, you've you've just destroyed us. How can that be? He still has his faith. And he comes around in verse 4 to say, You've given a banner to those who fear you that it may be displayed because of the truth. That's Jesus. Jesus is the ensign that would be in the middle of the congregation of Israel. They'd fly the banner of God with us in Jesus. That was the Ark of the Covenant, and every single remembrance of God is Jesus. Moses is part of the banner. In fact, in the defeat of the Amalekites in the wilderness... Moses, remember, raises his hands but needs Aaron and her to hold up his hands. He can't do it. And the Amalekites are defeated. And at that time, Moses builds an altar and calls it Jehovah Nissi, Jehovah, my banner. And that's God in Jesus. You've given yourself to those who fear you. You've given a banner. Yourself in the flesh, yourself revealed so that the truth may be displayed, yourself in the Bible, yourself, your name, Jesus, above every other name. Your word that sanctifies, your word that is the word of our justification and of our heaven and of all the blessings of salvation. That's it necessary that your beloved, your beloved, for Jesus' sake, may be delivered. We could even say that Jesus is the right hand of God. Save with your right hand and hear me. And by the way, God has no hands, literal hands and no parts. But he has a son who's a distinct person, who's the mediator. And in him we know the right hand of God. He sits at the right hand of God. He is the right. He's the strength of Israel. That's the idea. And though it says here, for example, that Judah is my lawgiver, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 9, verse 7, that the government will be upon his shoulders. Whose shoulders? Well, Mr. Wonderful's shoulders. Wonderful. The God, Jesus, has the government on his shoulders. He rules the nations. So only him. Now the Bible says, I was going to say, but the Bible says, but that would lead you to think that maybe there's a contrast. So I'll say, and the Bible says, through God, we will do valiantly. Through God, we will gain the victory. That's the idea. Not just we will be courageous, that's what valiant, and that's an old word, valiant, uh, is for being courageous and brave, and we are that by the grace of God. But we gain the victory. Not just we're gonna do something courageously, and no, we're gonna gain the victory. So God, He's the one, and look, Vain is the help of man. The help of man is useless, verse 11. The prayer is to God who did not go out with them once that he might go into the battle and fight for them and be their God and be the captain of their salvation. And the same God, last part of our verse, is he who shall tread down our enemies. The picture here is of squashing grapes either or taking The kings that are captured and putting your head on their necks and their heads, showing their complete subjugation. They're being under your control, defeated. Sin and evil, that's what God does. But what about, oh, there I said it, but what about. And what about this? We will do valiantly, we will gain the victory. As I said, of course, it's not God and in the sense that God maybe depends on man to give the victory. Did you die on the cross, beloved? Could you? Could you save yourself? You know this personally. Could you? In your gaining the victory over anger, over sexual sin. In your being reconciled with your wife and not seeking just another one because you understand the blood of the cross, are you going to say that this is of you and that even your repenting is of you and you're denying yourself? Are you going to say, that's of me? And my faith is so strong, I'm sure God's going to credit me something. Would you say that? Of course not. You wouldn't, would you? You just know it in your heart. It can't be that. No. If you be a true believer and those who may be listening be true believers, you're listening in to hear of God, aren't you? We want to know the good news of God alone who saves and have this applied to us, and we reminded that we do valiantly. This is a wonder. There's this God who's for us in the cross. And this God who comes into us, who says, Now you work out your fear, your your salvation with fear and trembling. Only knowing this, it's God who works in you, both the will and to do of his good pleasure. There's sovereignty of God, the responsibility of man. This is what this text is alluding to here. The responsibility of man, the response of man to the work of God. Through God, God first, through Jesus, we shall do something to merit? No. So that God waits upon us so that he will get us done only if we get it done? No. No. But through God, we respond and we do Christianity. We are hearers and doers of the word. That's what grace does, and I know this in you. And the elders know this in you, beloved. It's beautiful. I see you in your struggles and in your victories and in your being real. And you're knowing sometimes that, yes, God has withdrawn from you, and you know this being cast off, this anger of God, and yet you know that for Jesus' sake you'll never be forsaken of God. That's, That's what we see here. And that is what God sees in all the congregation that he makes worldwide but this is something that speaks to our experience and our struggle. We have Edomites and Philistians and, and, and Moabites, and we have bills to pay, children to raise and wandering people to bring back to the fold and responsibilities and a work to endure. It seems like just another same old, same old and routine, and we're wondering why. And we're wondering if life has passed us by because it doesn't seem so much that God is significant to me. In fact, that's part of our problem. It's not that we feel forsaken of God. First of all, we just don't even know where we are and where God is. We're that far gone. Our faith is so little. The things of heaven, what are they? And here I am facing a good day or a bad day or another day and another person and, and I like this or I don't like this and our world is so worldly. We in it, But beloved. By the grace of God, there's still this, isn't there? And there is still this and it's being worked in us, this faith that right now God's speaking to me and he's saying, I love you. And I know the battle even in the pulpit. As Paul did in the Philippian jail, in in the jail, writing to the Philippians. I know how to abound in poverty and and in much. In all things through Christ, I can do. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's what he said. This is the Old Testament. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Through God we shall do valiantly. We shall know that after the long and weary night, and we haven't arrived yet, have we, even though theologically we're we're at the apex of theology. And that's a humbling place to be. To know the basic God says, saves sinners and to have it in our creeds. you know how important that is? But still to know that there's much more to come and a crown to be given. As Paul, he wants to know Jesus Christ crucified. You too, beloved. That's the only way to make this confession. We confess deliverance and in the way of Jesus' forsakenness for us. Remember that? We can hardly believe that God will answer our prayers and God will be with us. Look at this. Who will bring me to the strong city? Who will give me the victory over the gates of hell? Who will give this church and other churches victory over hell and hellians, inside and out? Who will lead me to Edom to triumph over it? Is it not you, O God, who cast us off? You, O God, who did not go out with the armies... Is it not you, O God, God of the cross? And then the answer is, yes, it is. He's my God. He's your God. So through life's battles, say this, beloved. And know this, that God and Jesus has said it first and sung it first. God has spoken in his holiness. He said this, I will rejoice, verse 6. I will divide Shechem, measure out the valley of Succoth. Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is also the helmet of my head. Judah is my lawgiver. These are my my servants to defeat the enemies. And then through the battle, I'll win. Moab is my washpot. Over Edom, I will cast my shoe. Philistia, and that really means shall be triumphed over. That's what we say. Following God, rejoicing in the victory. Beloved, Christianity is about deliverance through this dereliction of the Son of God that we might never be forsaken and have a song to sing with God. Through God, do valiantly, Sing loud, lovers of God in Jesus. Amen. We pray, Father, that you would bless this congregation with victory and the wonderful response to the word of doing valiantly for Jesus' sake. Amen.